Hey, it's Charlie. Thanks for listening to the Encouragers United podcast. The following is a short sermon clip from a message that I recently preached at Walnut Creek Mennonite Church in beautiful Holmes County, Ohio. For more information about the church and our ministry, please feel free to search for us on Facebook or Instagram or go to our website, wcmenn.org. You have liberty. If you have authority, you have responsibility. And that word is actually a Greek word in this, uh, in this translation, excusia. Excusia. It's the authority, the dominion, the power, the right. And so Jesus is listed here as a teacher who taught with excusia. Excusia. And if we do a little word search, which is a great Bible study technique, right? There are resources out there that say, okay, this is the word that shows up here. Where else does it show up? And it'll give you all of those passages where that word, excusia, or any other word that you're looking for might show up. Well, guess what I found? Jesus uses this very same word when he describes, at the end of the book of Matthew, himself. I have been given all excusia in heaven and on earth. It's been given to me by my Father, a good, good Father. And I just thought that was a great way to start this morning because basically what we're going to do is we're going to see that Matthew is going to further his case. He's going to further his uh, presentation here in the gospel that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He's the king. He's the king. Remember, back to the way back in the fall when we started studying this, the gospel of Mark was written from a Jewish perspective to primarily Jewish readers to emphasize Jesus' kingship, okay? And this great alliteration. Those of you that have known me, you know I get excited to get, get all geeked out about stuff like this. He's king because of his paternity. Think of that. That's the family line, right? Remember the genealogy? We kind of started with that. All of these lineages and the fathers of son, and sons and mothers of so-and-so all the way down. Paternity leads us to believe that Jesus as a descendant of the king, David, is the king by his paternity. Actually, we studied prophecy, and Matthew does a great job of especially linking back to these Old Testament prophecies, which predicted that Jesus was the king. And so he's king through the prophecies. He's actually king through his preparation as well. Remember John the Baptist. Jesus is baptized. Jesus goes into a 40-day wilderness fast. And he faces, he comes toe-to-toe with our enemy, the devil, and his temptation. And he's victorious. He's actually the king through his pedagogy. Oh, there's a strange term. It's exciting for teachers like me, though. Pedagogy refers to his teaching. And that's exactly what we just talked about, right? You see where I'm going with this? He's got paternity. He's got prophecy. He's got preparation. He's got pedagogy. He's got power. And this is where we're headed next. And I, might, I didn't add this to it, but I actually want you to see that Jesus is going to be king through his passion as well. And we'll get there by the time we talk about Easter, right? The passion of Christ proves that Jesus is the king. 
So this is a beautiful picture that Matthew is using to describe this promised Messiah, the promises of God fulfilled. And so, in essence, Matthew has outlined who Jesus is, what his principles are, and now he's about to express and recite, review, record for us his authority, his excusia, right? Jesus has the power to transform. He has the authority to do whatever he wants with whatever he chooses, with whomever, whenever, however he chooses. It's a great, great way to start this. In fact, Jesus has, as we're going to read in these three healings, the power to move us from unclean to whole. From unclean to whole. And that's where we read the first four verses of chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 8. In the first four verses, we hear of a story of the healing, the cleansing of a man with leprosy. Leprosy. Let's just read it through. This is verse 1 through 4. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, from the hills of Galilee, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reaches out his hand and he touched the man and said, I am willing. He said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed from his leprosy. In verse 4, Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Wow. One of the most debilitating and tragic diseases of Jesus' time was leprosy. A leper was a person who had a skin disease, and it happened to be very contagious. It was considered unclean because of how dangerous it was. So the culture, the Jewish purity laws prevented these people from interacting. It was a degenerative disease that got worse as time passed. And it was at that time incurable. You see, in those days, if you had any indication of a skin problem, you had to present yourself to the priest for an inspection. And if you were diagnosed with a positive identification of leprosy, you were quarantined away from other people forever. Boy, we know a little bit about that in the last few years that we've been experiencing our own type of sickness and disease. Sometimes back then it was nicknamed the living death. I won't go into all the the lonely and tragic details here, but I do want you to know that it is called Hansen's disease. And in 1981, fairly recently, a combination of antibiotic and steroid treatments has now cured or cleared the disease. So we don't often deal with it now in our common day. Now, if you're like me and it's dry and it's winter, you have these little spots that sometimes get a little itchy. I guarantee you it's not leprosy, okay? It's not leprosy. There was a stigma surrounding this person, right? He was actually required to announce it to others before he came. Unclean! Unclean! And they would go, oh, unclean! Unclean! I understand! But I want you to know that leprosy can serve as a great example for us today. It's a pretty good metaphor. It's it's an appropriate and useful picture of our own sin. If you think about it, we need to be cleansed from our sin, don't we? The only major flaw in my analogy here is that leprosy is actually something you would catch. (laughs) You could contract leprosy. You don't actually contract your sinful nature. 
you inherit your sinful nature. It's not quite like the cold or a flu. We've actually never known life without our sinfulness. But like sin, our leprosy is actually progressive. Think about that. Leprosy was a progressive disease. It got worse and worse and worse. Our sin nature is a progressive problem. It gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, back to James. I refer to him more and more these days. But in James chapter 1, in verses 14 and 15, we see that each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires. And they're enticed away from God's plan. Then, after desire is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, progresses to death. We all live this, right? Our sin, like leprosy, is progressive, but it's also desensitizing. You see, that's part of the disease, is that people would lose the function of their sense of touch. And so that's often how they struggled the most, is because they they didn't realize when they may touch something hot, they couldn't feel it. They may not realize if they're outside and their hands got really, really cold, they would suffer from frostbite and never know it. They might bump up against something and get a scratch and never know that they were bleeding, they would get infection, and it would desensitize them, causing problems, right? But that's how our sin is as well. Think about this. The more I'm exposed to things that are not of God, it's like a bell goes off, my conscience perhaps, but if it just keeps getting rung... What I've experienced is that at some point, the bell breaks. (laughs) Like, then it doesn't bother me anymore. And so that's why as parents, as leaders, we we want you to be careful, kids, what music you're listening to, the video games you're playing, the movies you're watching, the things that you are using to entertain yourselves can desensitize you. That's a problem. It's progressive. It's desensitizing. And actually, our sin, like leprosy, is also isolating These people were recluse to either isolation by themselves or isolation within colonies of people who had the common problem, who had the disease of leprosy. Isn't that true? We often congregate with people who are struggling like we are, if we have any community at all. Leprosy caused you to immediately be isolated, and sin also isolates us from God And it isolates us from those we love, perhaps. And I think the most tragic story we know are happening every day with drug addiction, gambling, homelessness, desperate times, and desperate people who are tempted, dragged away, and even destroyed by their sin. You see, leprosy back in Jesus' time, like sin today, can leave you destitute and alone. The prophet Isaiah once spoke about this too. He says, your iniquities have separated you from God. You've been isolated. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear you. And I finally will just end this little rabbit trail by saying that our sin, like leprosy, is not only progressive and desensitizing and isolating, it's fatal. It's fatal without God. Okay, there's the one hope, the one last preposition that I'll add to that phrase. Because without God, yes, it is all of these things. But with God, we have a very, very different story. Think of this interaction. In fact, I want you to watch verse 3. 
I think it's really notable here. I'm not going to put it back up on the screen, but if you have your Bible, look at verse 3. I think it's very notable that the very first incident that Matthew is describing of the authority of Jesus breaks all kinds of rules. You realize that? Because Jesus right here does something that no one else would do. Did you spot it? Verse 3 reads, if you go back to it, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched this man. He touched him. He touched. Jesus touched this untouchable person. Jesus does something that no one else would do. He touches a person with leprosy. And in a very personal, tender, and compassionate act, he's our shepherd. He touches us in our sinfulness. Yes, I am willing. He comforts us. Jesus did something startling and wonderful at the same time, right? Jesus reached out and touched a man with a fatal disease. Stop there and reflect on this with me. Like, like he's a Jewish rabbi. He's, he knows the rules here. Ah, but I have authority. All authority has been given to Jesus. And someone saw this man. Someone saw this man. And isn't that one of the deepest needs that we have in our life? To be seen. Not as a plague. Not as a scourge. Not as someone stricken by God or diseased. Jesus saw him as a human. As a person. And I believe that even if Jesus hadn't healed this man, his life would have been changed forever because of that touch. Jesus, you see, does what Judaism can't do. Think about this. Through hundreds and thousands of years of dealing with this, this disease, no sacrifice, no offering can heal leprosy. None of these offerings and sacrifices can truly forgive a person. But Jesus forgives. Jesus cleanses. Jesus instructs this man then. Here's the last part I'll teach you and then we'll go on. He instructs this man to present himself to the priest. Exactly what they needed to do when they first contracted the disease. So go present yourself to the priest. Look at me. Uh, yeah, I'm written in the book as having the disease before, but look at me. And then present the offering that Moses commanded you to do as a testimony to your cleansing. Bible scholars will tell you that actually Jesus is not trying to undermine the law. Jesus fulfills the law. You see what he says? Go present yourself to the priest. Do what the law tells you to do. And guess what? You're cleansed. And in this act, Jesus truly fulfills the law. Doesn't, he doesn't undermine the law. He acts within the law. I think that's beautiful. Culturally, it would have been very, very rare for anyone of Jesus' status and his disciples to even interact with this guy. And not only does he interact with him in a personal, tender, compassionate way, he cleanses him. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that now he says, you don't have to tell everybody. You don't need to tell anybody. You only need to tell one person. Go tell the priest. Because the priest was the central figure of authority to banish you, to isolate you. That's the only person that needs to see you're clean. You're clean. What an amazing story. And a great way to kick off Jesus' authority. Amen? Let's keep going here. Jesus has the power to extend his healing and his power, his grace, to anyone that he wants. And in this second section, we're going to see a wonderful interaction with a centurion. The faith of the centurion. It's verses 5 through 13. A 
A centurion was a man of military status, like a captain, perhaps, in the military of the Roman government. He's stationed at different places around the world, right, around the empire, and typically they were in charge of a hundred people. Thus the name centurion, right? Pick it up here in verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion approached him, came to him, asking for his help. That alone was weird enough, right? Centurions were not typically respected people. They represented the evil empire that was oppressing the Jewish people, right? And yet they come, he comes, and asks for help. When he came, uh, in fact, if you read this, he says, I want you to help my servant. And there's really no reason that Jesus should ever even interact with this guy, right? In Luke, we read that something's different about this centurion. And again, the Gospels have a conversation with each other. They see things a little bit differently. It doesn't mean they're not authentic. doesn't mean they're not true. But we can utilize each of them. So let's go to Luke. And when they, the elders of the town, came to Jesus, they said, this guy, this centurion, deserves for you to help him because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. And this is unheard of. This is, this is um, really, really unique. But he says in Matthew, he says, Lord, my servant, which can be translated, my, my worker, my, my friend, my son even. There's lots of different ways we believe this. Anyway, someone from his household is at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. <laughs> I love verse 7. Well, yes, sir. What do you want me to do, sir? Shall I come and heal him? He didn't say, okay, I'll do it, or yeah, let's go, or like, no, he just said, well, okay, you're the boss, right? You're the boss, centurion. Ooh, what do you want me to do? Shall I come? The centurion has a dire situation for a person that he probably cares for, a person that has value in, in the centurion's heart, in the centurion's life. This servant, this household member was a, was a, a, care, a critical piece to his life. He loved him, let's say. And so he comes to Jesus and says, I need your help. So Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do? Shall we, shall we go see him? Another, another cultural kind of thing that I need to let you in on. <laughs> That's like unheard of also. Like a Jewish rabbi going to the house of a Gentile person. Because we're talking about insiders and outsiders here. Right? See, the Jewish nation, the, the, the rules, the laws, the process, the, 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 the things that we're supposed to do make us insiders. I've not seen anyone on the inside who shows this kind of great faith on the outside. I've not, even, I've not even seen this kind of faith on the inside. Oh, boy. Because <laughs> he challenges him. He challenges the insiders, doesn't he? He was amazed at this man's faith. And, and again, once again, I'm not going to go into it. I don't have time. But amazed. What is that word? Like amazed, astonished is, is the, the translation that was used earlier, right? They were astonished at his teaching. And now he's astonished at this man's faith. And I'll tell you what, whatever it is that astonishes Jesus, we probably better pay attention to it. What is he, what is he saying? What is he saying? There's a neat little word study that you can do, and you'll find this same word, amazed, from the mouth of Jesus in a very different context. It's actually in Mark. The satyrian displays amazing faith and asks Jesus to speak the word of healing. That's it. I love my servant. I want you to help him. I know you have the authority. Just say the word. And Jesus is astonished. 
right? In Mark 6, 6, in Mark 6, 6, there's another interaction where this same word amazed is used, and Jesus is the subject. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He goes back home. This is back in his hometown. You'll read this wonderful story from Mark, and he says, Jesus went around teaching from village to village, right? And he got to the place where he went to his hometown, and he was amazed that they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Oh, that's just Josh. We know him. He's not the Messiah. He's just a carpenter's son whose mother was unwed when she was pregnant with him. You get what I'm saying? And Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And so the scripture goes on to say that he didn't do any miracles in their presence. They don't believe anyway. And he was astonished. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He goes on in verse 11. Go back to chapter 8 now. He says, I'm amazed at this faith. The level of faith that I see. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, I'll add, and take their places at the feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> hold on, time out. Wait, 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 wait. Let me, uh, hold on a second here, Lord. You're telling me that this is for everybody? Like you're the Messiah of everybody? Yeah. From the east and the west and the north and the south. I'm not just here for the insiders. I'm here for the outsiders. And these outsiders, look at these outsiders, they're going to join even before you do sometimes. Go, let it be done. Just as you believed that it would. And his servant was healed. His servant was healed. This centurion displays amazing faith as an outsider. You get that? This Gentile possesses the faith that Abraham had when he left everything and followed God to go to a place where he didn't even know where he was going. The faith that Isaac had to carry the very wood that would be for his own sacrifice. Where are we going, Dad? Trust, son, trust. He had the faith that Jacob had on that riverside. You remember this story when he wrestled with God and he grabbed onto him and he said, I'll never let you go until you give me a blessing. The faith that David had when he fought Goliath. The faith that Gideon had when he led 400 men to kill and to fight 100,000 Midianites. The faith that Esther had when she approached King Xerxes with her request. The faith that Elijah had when he calls down fire from heaven to a water-soaked altar in front of all of those prophets of Baal. The faith that Jeremiah, Malachi, Jonah, all the prophets. The faith that you and I need to have today. Because we're outsiders too. A knowledge of ourselves, a knowledge of Jesus' authority, an awareness of our own need, and a faith in His plan and His authority. You see, that's what really has happened in these situations. The distinguishing factors that are displayed by these people, okay? What happened here? Because we actually have two instances, two descriptions of two situations, right? One is a man coming for his own need. I'm desperate, Lord. Another one's coming equally desperate, but on the behalf of someone else. I think in both cases, they definitely acknowledge their own need. And they both acknowledge Jesus' power and his authority. The leper says, if you're, I know you can do this. If you're willing, please. The centurion says, oh, I, I know authority. And you're the man. Like, just say the word, right? And they both display faith to accept whatever Jesus has decided to do. This is real faith. It's not a matter of getting what we want. 
It's not. It's about trusting Him to give us what He knows is best for us. Don't lose that point. This is real faith. He's emphasizing that belief, that our faith is a vital factor. Not who you are, not where you come from, not what your past is, not what you suffer from even today. None of that matters in the face of Jesus' authority. And so we go on, jump down to verse 14 now. And when Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And so he walked right up to her. He just touched her hand and the fever was gone. And what did she do? She got up and started cooking dinner. <laughs> she started to serve all of the group that had come. There's a whole other sermon in there about how we respond to a touch from Jesus, right? What a blessing she was. Don't have time to talk about it this morning. I want you to see here this morning that these stories raise some questions in our minds. And I want to deal with those questions with you briefly here before we close. Do you believe that Jesus has the authority and the power to do whatever? That he has the power and the authority over whatever it is that you're facing in your life? Do we really believe that? Are you willing to submit to his authority, his timing, his wisdom? Lord, I'm desperate. I know you can, I know you can do this. Just say the word. Are you willing to submit to his authority, his timing and his wisdom? Will you trust him whether he responds as you want or not? (laughs) Are you willing to trust? And then what would you do if he actually cured you or healed you or cleansed you? What would you do? This little section ends by telling us that when evening came, many, many people were demon-possessed, were brought to him. He drove out the spirits with a word. He healed all their sick. This is Matthew's way of saying, listen, he did way more than what I'm able to explain here. But this was all written to prove and to fulfill what, what Isaiah said oh so far ago, which was back in Isaiah 53. Once again, Matthew quotes just a part of the verse, but the inference there is that he fulfilled all of it, right? He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. Yes, by his wounds we're healed. The little part of that from Isaiah 53 looks like this. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God. We considered him to have leprosy, to be stricken by God and afflicted. You see, that was part of the mistake, the misunderstanding of Jesus' time, is that if someone had leprosy, they were obviously stricken by God. Oh my, they've done something really bad. It's not it at all. It's not it at all. We'll deal with it later in Matthew, because even leprosy can bring the glory of God. Wendy and I, when we were in college, got the chance to study for a short period of time under a wonderful, respected scholar and Bible teacher. We actually didn't even realize the greatness that we were in the presence of. But a man named Dr. James Montgomery Boyce was the senior pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia from 1968 until his death in 2000. And Wendy and I had the opportunity to sit under his teaching for about a one-week period uh, at a leadership development camp that uh, we both participated in. In the spring of 2000, Dr. Boyce contracted pancreatic cancer. He passed away after only a short time. But while he was in treatment, he spoke and wrote powerful letters of encouragement to his congregation, to those who would read them later. A very intimate letter I've come across this week. It's quite a lengthy quote, but I want to read it for you because I want you to see how he, 
one of the most respected theologians and compassionate pastors of our time, processed his own end of life. He said this, Above all, I would say pray for the glory of God. If you think of God glorifying Himself in history, and you say, where in all of history has God glorified Himself the most? He did it at the cross of Jesus. And it wasn't by delivering Jesus from the cross, though He could have. God is in charge. And when things like this come into our lives, they're not accidental. It's not as if God somehow forgot what was going on and something bad slipped by. God is not only the one who is in charge. God is good. and Everything He does is good. Even pancreatic cancer. We do indeed have a great God. Come on up, Sarah. I want you to kind of help me with this transition. He's a good, good Father. And many of us, many of you are facing health or physical, mental, emotional strain and stress. Some of you are facing the end of your life through a disease. Emotional hurts and challenges that are debilitating you. Many of us have loved ones in our lives who are suffering these ways. And so I just want to give us a time to process this together and use these two scriptures as fuel for our faith. We're going to have the lights just come back down and Sarah and I are going to sing a song together. This might be a little uncomfortable for you, but I just want you to bear with me. Try to trust me. Because what we're about to do is to give you a moment to just sit in whatever it is that you're facing. Because these individuals did some very powerful things. If you have a need today, and let me give you a secret. By the way, we all have a need. Remember today what these powerful stories, these expressions of Jesus' authority can teach us. Is that first and foremost, these people acknowledged their need. That might be where some of you are this morning. I'm I'm okay. I'm alright. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I can do it. I'm alright. I'm alright. No, you're not. You have leprosy. And there's no way out without God. So if that's you this morning, you'll come as that leper came this morning. You'll come just like he did. This isn't about coming forward and having an oil anointing and praying over people and falling all over the aisles. And No, it's not about that. That's not what it is. Sometimes it might be. Today, this is between you and Jesus. Lord, I know that you're willing. I know that you're able. Are you willing? The second thing is that both of these individuals acknowledge Jesus' authority. I submit to you, Lord, I'm not worthy of you to even do this. Just say the word, though, please, Lord. I submit to your authority. And I want you to ask him with sincerity and to trust him to do what's best in your life. is going to give you a chance to process. Because you know what? For some of us right now, this might be a little scary. But it's not complicated.
be scary. But it's not complicated. Be blessed this morning by the presence of the Holy Spirit here with us to heal, to do whatever He wants with us. God, we submit ourselves to You now in the quietness and the intimacy of this moment. Come, Lord Jesus, and minister to our hearts, minister to our minds. Yes, Lord, minister to our bodies if that's what You choose. We have faith, we believe, and we love. Be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Encouragers United podcast. We hope you're inspired and motivated by today's show. And if you enjoyed this episode, we would ask that you'd consider uh, sharing it with someone that you might know who would appreciate it, subscribing to the podcast so you would never miss another episode, and even supporting us financially through a monthly sponsorship. Your support will help us to continue to share uplifting stories, Bible teaching, and encouragement for listeners to never give up on encouraging and investing in other people in positive ways. We look forward to bringing you more episodes of the Encouragers United podcast. And until next time, start where you are, take what you have, and do what you can.